Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Well, hey, welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. Welcome if you're watching online as well. Open your Bibles, if you have one, to the book of Malachi. That's where we're going to be as we continue our series called Prepare. If you're new to the Bible, turn toward the very end of the Old Testament, right there in the middle of your Bible, and the Malachi is the last book of the Bible. And uh, if you're new, you want to catch up, or as Pastor Brick was talking about, all of those sermon resources, Bible reading plans, all of that is on the link on the screen, nola.vcmvmt.com slash prepare. And you're going to find everything there. The last two weeks, we kicked off the series looking at Malachi 1, talking about right love. The reality that God begins this book highlighting His love for His people. And that's significant because the things that God is going to talk about in the coming chapters in the book of Malachi are tough words. They're not easy messages for the people of Israel nor for us to take in. But what God is wanting to do by starting with His love is He's reminding them, this is who I am and this is how much I love you. So everything I'm going to tell you comes from love. And then last week we had the incredible pleasure of hearing from Mark Anthony Thomas, our music arts director. Did he not do an incredible job? Oh, wow, okay. That's what I thought. Okay. He called me, what, uh, Dr. Reverend Dustin Turner. He's Deacon Mark Anthony Thomas. That's what I call him. And so he talked about right worship. And part of what God was getting at to the people of Israel was that they weren't truly worshiping God with pure hearts and pure motives. In fact, if you look on the screen, you're going to see what we laid out at the beginning of this series, this chiasm or this structure for how the book of Malachi is kind of laid out and organized. And so we started with that right understanding of God, right worship. For the next two weeks, we're going to look at what God has to say about relationships. Today, what we're looking at is how God talks to us about right marriages. It's a message that he gives to the people of Israel through the prophet Malachi. Now, here's the thing about marriage. Two things. One, I recognize that not everybody watching and listening is married. In fact, many people are single. And so you might be thinking, well, what in the world does this message have to do with me? Well, stats tell us that the majority of us listening and watching are probably going to get married at some point. So that's one thing, right? The second thing is the truth of this message applies to every single one of us. That the principles of what God wants in marriage, every single person should know. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we're going to talk about some really tough topics. Things like divorce. And there's a good reality that over half of us have experienced divorce in some way, whether we ourselves have been divorced, whether our parents were divorced, family members, friends divorced. 
And so I want you to know that I'm coming at this message, this passage, with a heart for you and what God has to say about marriage. And when I thought about marriage and I thought about divorce and some of the things that we're going to talk about, I thought about all of the reasons that people get divorced. And we're going to talk about biblical grounds for divorce and what does God have to say about that. But one thing I notice often is that people, when, when, they, when they have the divorce certificate, they have to provide the reason. What's the reason for your divorce? And more often than not, what I see is irreconcilable differences. They basically can't get along anymore. And, and I think that that has a lot to say about the state of marriages in our country, in our culture. And what I really want you to do with that in mind is to think about why can't our marriages work past those differences, those irreconcilable differences, and how can we move past those differences and actually remain together? What does God have to say about that? So let's look at Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 10 through verse 16. Here's what God says through the prophet. Have we not all one father, Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Now, what I want to do to start not only this sermon, but also next week's sermon, is I want to go back to verse 10. Because I think verse 10 for us really lays the foundation for what we're going to talk about today, but also what we are going to talk about next week. Look at verse 10 again. He says, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? He's getting back to creation to say that it's singular, a singular one God who has created all of us, every single human. He is everybody's Father. And what what he's getting at is that that reality is the one thing that unites us together. That God is our creator and father. But then look at what he says. 
So if that's true, that we have one Father and God's the one who created us, why then are we faithless to one another? Profaning the covenant of our fathers. Here's what I want you to get. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is true for today as well as next week. Preparation requires faithfulness to others. So last week, Mark Anthony talked about our faithfulness to God in worship. And over the next two weeks, we're going to see in the book of Malachi this reality that if we are going to prepare for the coming of the Lord, we have to be faithful to one another. Now, there's a word in verse 10 and throughout these few verses that you probably saw several times. Faithless. And it's translated many different ways in different translations. Things like betray, unfaithful, broken faith, disloyal, cheated. It's it's used five times in these seven verses. And, And really what it gets at is a failure to fulfill promised obligations. Again, that we would be faithful to one another faithful to one another so if you're taking notes here's the big idea for us this week as we think about marriage we think about being faithful to one another we prepare for the lord when we honor god in marriage and remain faithful to our spouse we honor the lord in marriage when we Remain faithful to our spouse when we honor God in marriage. So, faithfulness in marriage requires two things from Malachi 2, verses 10 through 16. Number one, faithfulness in marriage requires choosing the right spouse. Choosing the right spouse. Now, here's what I'm not talking about. What I'm not talking about is that every single one of us in this world has a soulmate, right? I'm not talking about that. I don't believe in that. Because if, some, if we all have a soulmate, that got messed up a long time ago, right? And we're all in trouble. That's not what Malachi, that's not what God is getting at. Look at verses 11 through 12. He says, Judah, that's the people of Israel, they've been faithless. And abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. And look at the end of this. This is the main idea in these two verses. And has married the daughter of a foreign god. So here's what Israel's faithlessness meant. It meant they were intermarrying with foreign spouses who worshipped gods other than the Lord. And that was an issue. The issue with that had to do with the people of Israel maintaining allegiance to the Lord, to God alone. Because God had set this up in the very beginning. When the people of Israel came into the promised land out of Egypt, He told the people of Israel to not intermarry. Why? This wasn't a racial issue. This was a religious issue in fact if you go and you look in the old testament you're going to see stories of people like zipporah zipporah was moses wife she wasn't an israelite you're going to see stories of people like rahab rahab was the prostitute right 
She wasn't an Israelite. Someone like Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. She wasn't an Israelite. But those women chose to leave their gods and worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. Here's what God tells the people of Israel in Deuteronomy as they're going into the promised land. Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 through 4. He says, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. And and again, all of this was about allegiance to the Lord. He God knew that if the people of Israel began to intermarry with the other women and the other men in the neighboring communities, in the neighboring nations, what was going to happen is that they were going to take the people of Israel away from worshiping the only God, Yahweh. And this is what happened throughout this time with Malachi. Malachi is speaking to a particular moment. Remember what had happened. The people of Israel had been in captivity. They come up out of captivity, but the captors, the ones who brought them into captivity, had also sent foreign people to Israel. So you had what became the Samaritans, where they were both half Jew and half Gentile. And so they were intermarrying with the neighboring people who did not worship the God of the Bible. And you go, if you go and read Ezra 9 and Ezra 10 or Nehemiah chapter 13, you're going to see all of this played out that Malachi is speaking against. It's kind of like this. The King Solomon, a few, few weeks ago when we were preaching through Becoming, we looked at the life of King Solomon. And and King Solomon, yes, was known for wisdom, but at the same time, he was known for his many wives and concubines. And this is what 1 Kings 11.4 says about Solomon. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. And this is just a reality, right? I mean, think about when you were in school. The people you hung out with were the people that you tended to be like. And the reality about marriage is this, The marriage between a husband and a wife is the most intimate relationship. So if anybody has an impact on my life, it's my wife Rachel. She has the greatest impact on who I am and who I'm becoming, and vice versa. Because we share the most, I mean, the most intimate of life together. We spend some of the most amount of time together. And what God is getting at in faithfulness in choosing the right spouse is that reality. That we would choose men and women to be our wives and to be our husbands who would lead us to follow the Lord. So here's a more practical question for us to think about. How are Christians to choose the right spouse? Paul talks about this in a general way 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Here's what he says. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, here's what he's not getting at. What Paul is not getting at is that we should create these holy huddles that as Christians, we never go and spend time with people who don't know Jesus. That's not what he's talking about, right? Because you work with people that don't know Jesus. You live next to people who don't know Jesus. Some of your family members might not know Jesus. Your friends might not know Jesus. But what he is talking about is that in the most intimate of relationships, especially the marriage relationship, you shouldn't be unequally yoked. And that image, if you know anything about agriculture, which I know very little about, but I know enough to know what a yoke looks like. A yoke is the, the big piece of wood that they would put on two oxen to keep them together to do work. And, and just imagine how silly it would be if you had an oxen yoked up to a chihuahua. Right? They're two very, very different animals. They don't work together. That's what the image is when Paul says, don't be unequally yoked. He's getting at this reality that for followers of Jesus, if we're going to be married, we have to be married to a person who believes the same things as we do, who has the same allegiance to the Lord as we do. So I think... The second question is, is what if you're married and then you become a Christian? So you are married and your spouse, both of you when you got married weren't Christians, but one of you becomes a Christian. Look at what Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians in, ver in chapter 7 verses 12 through 16. He says, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise... Your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So what Paul is getting at there is if both of you don't know Jesus and one of you comes to know Jesus and you both agree to remain with one another, you should stay married. And part of what he's getting at, this whole idea of saving the husband or saving the wife or saving the children or making the children holy, is the reality that the spouse that's a believer might just be a light to allow the other believer to know Jesus. But... At the same time, Paul says that if the unbelieving spouse wants to end the marriage, then that's okay in this setting. Here's what I want you to get from all of this, and I think this is the most significant thing as we think about choosing our spouse. If you are a Christian, the most important part of your identity should be your faith 
in Jesus. The most important part. So, the most important part of your future spouse's identity should be their faith in Jesus. Now, that's significant because what that does is it sets you up to help you know who you're searching for if and when you get married. That you're not choosing somebody that doesn't see Jesus and know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Why? Because Jesus is the most important part of your identity. And so as you're searching for a spouse, if Jesus is the most important part of your identity, you're looking for someone who believes the same thing about Jesus. So faithfulness in marriage is about choosing the right spouse. Notice I didn't say anything about what they look like or what their preferences are. The right spouse is the one who follows Jesus. That's what we're looking for. So faithfulness in marriage is about choosing the right spouse. But number two, faithfulness in marriage also requires loyalty to your spouse. Look at verses 13 through 16 of Malachi chapter 2. So God has already laid out this first complaint, and then this is what he says. He says, and the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? End of verse 14. This is the most important part here. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. Loyalty to your spouse. So what was Israel's faithlessness? Here's the reality. They were divorcing their spouses without legitimate justification. What they were were doing is they were waking up one day and they were basically saying, I don't really want to be with them anymore. And they were divorcing them. And what God is saying is that kind of divorce is wrong. Now, here's what I hope you see from both examples in this section of Malachi. The connection to loving God and loving people. That Malachi is saying, God is saying, listen, when you don't love people, in this particular instance, when you don't love your spouse, it affects your worship. I mean, last week we could get it, right? It's they were bringing the wrong offerings and making the wrong sacrifices and that was affecting their relationship with God. But here, Malachi is getting at the reality that how we treat one another 
Whether we are faithless to one another or faithful to one another, that too affects our relationship with God. Our love of God should directly affect our love of people. And our love of people should directly affect our love of God. So the Israelites were faithless because they were divorcing their spouses without legitimate justification. And and here was the issue. The people had broken their covenant with their spouses and God. Now, what I just said is so important. They were divorcing their spouses without legitimate justification. There's multiple places in the scriptures that talk about divorce. And I've given a few examples. You'll see those examples on the screen. Here are what I believe to be from the Bible biblical grounds for divorce. Number one, sexual sin. Deuteronomy 24, Matthew 5, and Matthew 19 talk about when a spouse commits adultery, when they cheat. That is biblical grounds for divorce. And that's when a spouse could divorce their spouse. Number two, another biblical ground for divorce is neglect. If another spouse just leaves, then that is biblical grounds. That's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That if the unbelieving spouse leaves you or neglects you, You can be divorced. And lastly, I believe that that neglect can also include abuse. If you are being physically, sexually, emotionally abused by your spouse, that can be grounds for divorce. Now, that's important, right? Because that's not what God is talking about in Malachi chapter 2. What God is talking about in Malachi chapter 2 is irreconcilable differences. I just woke up and didn't love them anymore, right? Or I don't really like them anymore. That's what Malachi is getting at. Here's a a quote from Tim and Kathy Keller's book on marriage, The Meaning of Marriage. Best marriage book I've ever read. And what he does is paint this incredible picture of marriage today, but in reality, I think it has something to do about marriage almost 3,000 years ago. Listen to what they say. He says, throughout history, there have always been consumer relationships. Such a relationship lasts only as long as the vendor meets your needs at a cost acceptable to you. If another vendor delivers better services or the same services at a better cost, you have no obligation to stay in a relationship to the original vendor. In consumer relationships, it could be said that the individual's needs are more important than the relationship. But there have also always been covenantal relationships. These are relationships that are binding on us. In a covenant, the good of the relationship takes precedence over the immediate needs of the individual. It's the difference of consuming and committing. That's what 
Keller is talking about in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, that's what I think God has a problem with the people of Israel about. Is they were looking at their marriage relationship as what is in it for me. But the thing about a covenant marriage is it's not about the individuals, it's about the relationship. And you're not necessarily worrying about what's in it for me. You're thinking about how can I serve my spouse? How can I love my spouse? How can I care for my spouse? And listen, divorce is the opposite of that. I can't love my spouse. I can't care for my spouse if I leave my spouse. It's a difference between consumer and covenant. Now, here's the other thing about this relationship is a covenant marriage is not just a commitment that you make to your husband or you make to your wife. A covenant marriage is a commitment that you also make before and to God. And that's part of the issue that Malachi is getting at. It's like, listen, you're not just breaking the covenant with your spouse who you're leaving. You're breaking the covenant that you made with God. Think about it like this. Every time I officiate a wedding, there are two parts of the ceremony that are really important. The first part is what's known traditionally as the vows, right? And I say, you know, so-and-so, do you take so-and-so to love and to cherish, to honor, till death do you part? And what do they say? I do, or I will, right? They're not talking to their spouse, They're talking to me. And ultimately, they're talking to me because I'm standing in for God. Because they're making a commitment to their spouse, to God. So they make these vows and they say, I do or I will. But then they exchange rings. And I have every husband and every wife put the ring on their spouse's finger and I say, repeat after me. And in that moment, they're looking at their spouse and they're saying, I take you to be my wedded wife or to be my wedded husband. And so you see the relationship that's happening here. When they say, I do and I will, they're making vows to God. That these are the things as a husband or as a wife that they're going to uphold before God. When they exchange rings, they're making those vows and those commitments to their spouse. That's so important for us to understand about this in regards to Malachi. Because when we get into marriage, it's not just about us. It's not even just about my other spouse. It's about God. And that's the issue that Malachi and ultimately God was so frustrated and upset about. So here's the practical question for us. How are Christians to remain loyal to their spouse? Three very simple things. And this, honestly, is probably oversimplified. But I think it's important for us. Number one, Avoid divorce. Divorce is never the first option. If you are going into marriage thinking that divorce is an option, you might be headed for failure. When when Rachel and I got married, we made a commitment to one another. We will never 
talk about divorce. It's not an option. It's never. And in 13 plus years of marriage, it's never come up. Because we made a commitment. Avoid divorce. Now, here's what, here's what I'm saying in that. Divorce and remarriage are not God's ideal. Now, I just said, right, that there are exceptions. There are biblical grounds for divorce. And I think if those biblical grounds are met, there's biblical grounds for remarriage. But what I want you to see and understand is that that is not God's ideal. That's not what He wants. But here's the other thing that's so important for those who are divorced, whether on biblical grounds or not, and those who are remarried, there is healing and redemption. There is forgiveness and that's so important. It's not like you're cast off if you've been divorced and or you're remarried. God loves you and He wants to redeem you and He wants to heal those relationships. So how are we to remain loyal to our spouses? We avoid divorce. Number two, even when there's sin, work toward repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. So there have been moments in my own marriage where I've made mistakes. And the point is that I would repent of my sin, that my wife would forgive me, and that we would be reconciled. We're all broken, sinful people, and we're going to make mistakes, and we're going to hurt one another. The first inclination should be, what am I going to do to try and heal and redeem this relationship? Even when there's sin, work toward repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Lastly, how are we to remain loyal to our spouse? Remain faithful to your spouse or future spouse. Now, I'm going to talk just about one thing because I think it's the most significant thing, sexual sin. For those of you who are not married yet, Save yourself for your spouse because you were made sexually for your husband or for your wife. And so part of what you are doing in entering into marriage is you remaining faithful before that marriage by remaining pure before you go into that marriage. Now listen, I'm not, I know there's healing, there's forgiveness, there's redemption, I'm saying this is what God wants. This is God's ideal. That you would share your bodies sexually with your spouse alone. Husbands and wives, that is true for you as well. That you would share your body with your wife alone. So here's the, the challenge for us. Here's the warning for us. Do not even get close to committing adultery. Don't have that inappropriate conversation with someone of the opposite sex. Don't look at that pornography. Don't think about lusting after that other person. Think about your spouse and remain faithful to him or to her. That's what God wanted for the people of Israel. Because they had made a commitment, they had made a covenant with their spouses. This week I thought about in light of this 
message, the reality that we say this, we say this all the time. Vintage church is a movement of truth, love, and community. And I think a lot of times that when we say particularly that we are a movement of love, what we think about is we think about that we want to love the people that are outside of the church, right? We want to love those who are far from Jesus. We want to also love one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. But I started to think about that in light of what God tells the people of Israel through Malachi. That should not being a movement of truth, love, and community begin first with our marriages. That our love for our husband or our love for our wife would be pure, would be true, and would be faithful rather than faithless. I think what we see from Malachi chapter 2 is that God takes marriage incredibly seriously. And honestly, in our culture, we probably don't take it that serious. But for those of us who know and love and follow Jesus, it's serious. Because God thinks it's serious. And I, I thought it was so interesting. This is, a, this is a message of preparation, right? The book of Malachi, Malachi wrote it to prepare the people of Israel for the coming of the Lord. And for those of us who are married and those, those of us who are single, how are we thinking about marriage to prepare us for the coming of Jesus? For, for many of us, we're thinking about like what sins we need to stop committing and how we can be more holy, but how many times are we thinking about our spouses or how many times are we thinking about our future spouses as preparation for Jesus to come? That we would be faithful. That we would live out our commitment to our spouse or our future spouse. And that that is important and significant as we prepare for the coming of Jesus. My prayer is that in this Advent season, we would prepare for Jesus by honoring God in marriage and remaining faithful to our spouses. That's what God wants. That's what is God's desire. So how will you, how will you honor God in marriage? How will you today remain faithful to your spouse? How will you prepare for the coming of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, so much for the gift of your son, Jesus, who modeled for us what real marriage looks like by loving his church so much that he laid down his life for his bride. And Father, I know it seems weird to talk about Advent and Christmas and then talk about marriage. 
But God, you do it right here in the book of Malachi. You take our current marriages, you take our future marriages, you take all marriages very seriously. And so God, may we see our marriages the way that you see them. So Father, help us now as we respond to you. We love you. We thank you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.